Inverse Genius Episode 73, Fortnightly Myth Journey Institutes. In this episode, John Manis and Bob Wyman join Don to talk about travels in art, mythic history, and the museums of Philadelphia. Hey, if you like what you hear and you'd like to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash obg. Everything that comes in from there goes to cover our monthly podcasting costs, which we appreciate. Thanks. Welcome to another episode of the Inverse Genius Fortnightly, where I, Donald Dennis, am here with two of my fast friends, Bob and John, and we're going to talk about stuff that we're excited about. Uh, so you can find me all over the webs as Walsview. And hey, Bob, where can you be found on the webs? Uh, I'm on Twitter as Bob Wyman. Excellent. It's exciting. And John, you? Uh, well, I can be found on the internet at swarmcastpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Or you can find me um, at Cobalt Dude. Absolutely. And if you are excited uh, by hearing more of me, head over to inversegenius.com and you can find other podcasts that have my voice on it, as well as actually both of these folks have appeared with us before. So hooray, hooray. What have you all to say about stuff that has gone before? Is there anything that you've finished watching or that you've completed or that there's more stuff coming out for uh, that, that you want to mention to our friends? Well, I know on a previous episode I had mentioned, I had talked about uh, Krutinger's puppets, mm. which are Krutinger's puppets.com, which is, which he's since then changed to puppetnerd.com. Mm. And uh, about a week or so ago, he actually made an announcement that he unfortunately has been diagnosed with a very severe uh, brain tumor. He's got stage three brain cancer. Ah. Um, and, and since then he's, he's had some other problems prop up. Uh, he's, his wife came on a couple days ago and said how he's got, he had a seizure, which, which caused a concussion, but he's doing fine and he's going to be going through some surgery very soon. And so I would, would love for people to go check out his website, go, um, check out the crafts he's got, he's got there. If you if you want to, purchase any of the patterns or stuff that he's got, please, please do so. And I know they've also got a GoFundMe on there as well to help with uh, medical expenses, but all of his stuff, just watching his videos, all of his stuff is, is phenomenal. It's amazing. And this was just kind of a, a huge shock for someone who I've been a fan of for the past couple of years at the very least. Right. So if it interests you now is the time to support them because uh, the times like this are always stressful and, if there's any way for you to either, you know, follow their videos, give them likes, give them shares, watch the advertisements that come up before them instead of clicking through them, buying patterns, uh, get in there and, and support this person if it's a uh, endeavor you're interested in, you know. So go check that out. And once again, that was at puppetnerd.com. Is looks it's the new portal for all that stuff, right? Correct. Mm. Okay. And Bob, how about yourself? Uh, I have been traveling a lot over the summer, so I have still like inching my way through Ms. Marvel, and and someday I will actually be caught up on the MCU, but I'm not there yet. I just watched the making of today, which uh, they do the assembled episodes for our, for the various shows, and it is a lot of fun because if you feel like oh these are all characters that you know, like hanging out with each other and 
you know, just sort of have a generally good and positive vibe. They do that. They talk a little bit about how cool it is to have the representation for the other cultures. And, and in all, I really liked it. I thought it was a fun watch. Obviously, if you're looking for plot and, and dialogue, that's not what it's there for. It's the people giving their experience while they were making the, making the series. So check that out. So, all right. Well, I, hmm, I'm going to go ahead and start with this because this isn't a huge discussion to be had. I don't think I, I hope to have someone or some other people on eventually to talk more in depth about AI art. But uh, <laughs> this time I, I want to talk about mid journey, which is the latest big splash of AI art that has happened. And you may have noticed your friends making AI art, sharing it, uh, some computer, uh, you, you give it some prompts and it will then generate them. And then you can say, Hey, iterate on that picture again, or rework it somehow. And it will keep doing that until you get one where either you're so fed up, you want to have nothing more to do with it, or it has created something delightful and exciting. And so have either of you had a chance to play with mid journey or any of the other art generating programs? I have, uh, only watched other people generated art, <laughs> uh, Daniel Solis, I believe, on Twitter, likes to share birds that don't exist and <laughs> a few other sort of things like that that he's generated that are very interesting. Okay. That's cool. Um, I've, I've, I mean, I've messed around a little with the uh, the Dolly Mini, mm-hmm. the, um, where you put in the different prompts and it generates several different things, and that's been uh, quite humorous. I have not done it tried to do anything um mind shatteringly uh um breathtaking or stuff it's usually goofy things like you know uh like a megatron driving a corvette or something like that you know, yes darth, darth vader paying the bills and then things like that yeah <laughs> i i am surprised that um you can put in properties that belong to other people and get it to generate art that that even vaguely resembles those properties right you think right. like this sounds like a lawsuit eventually about to happen, but I guess, you know, if you're not selling it on a t-shirt, then, then whatever. Um. My son has made some uh, sort of uh, game related AI generated images where he wants, he wants a helmet on in an apocalypse landscape, that sort of mm. thing. And, and mm-hmm. it sort of generated uh, wallpapers for himself. Right. Uh, so I will say that Owen Casey Stevens, he's a role-playing game designer who's worked on Pathfinder, D&D, um, many others as well. Uh, he is posting a lot of stuff because he's paid for the, hey, I've paid for this subscription model. And so one of the things I really like about it is that you can go on and you go to the website, which I'll put in the uh, in the show notes, and then you it will basically connect you to the discord and you go to the discord for um midjourney and you go to one of the particular sub discords and in it it's like the uh there's newcomer rooms and, and place where people can put in their put in their prompts and it will generate like a selection of four prompts or four items from whatever prompt you put in and then you're going to pick hey which one of these do I want to refine and so it's pretty neat to to see how that happens, um, and you can specify things like I want it to be in 
a nouveau style or something a little more deco or whatever it is. And it will try to use the rules of whatever that artistic style. It's like, Ooh, I want Renaissance style with lots of chiaroscuro and blah, 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 and all these other things. And, and you can sort of really art direct the pieces. But mostly what I've seen is people saying, you know, these are going to be how I generate art prompts. So I can send to real artists and a real artist can do a slightly more, you know, interpreted version of what it is that I'm looking for. Because for role-playing games, you're often kind of specific on the kinds of things that you want. Like we want our iconic characters to be doing these kinds of things, but I want this really cool background. So I don't know. It's been a lot of fun to play with and probably some of my pictures will appear in the show notes art or, you know, as the, for the album cover of this episode or something. You but generated a, a castle in the clouds. Is that right? I did. That's one of the ones I did. Um, yeah, trying to cool. replicate something from the, uh, the RPG I ran. The problem was, is it couldn't get the whole crystals, you know, shooting down from the bottom of the castle thing. I tried for, I don't know, about half an hour to get more and more stuff uh, to point down from it. And it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't do that, but it got the ooh flying creatures flying around the castle, the thing flying above the horizon with the, the moon visible underneath it, that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, the more specific and weird you want to get, the less likely it's going to give you exactly what you're looking for, but the more, Oh, I have a general idea and I want this kind of thing, the cooler mid journey. And I'm sure all of the other ones are, I've even seen where some people will take mid journey art and then put it into another one of the AI art things and get them to refine it. And just that whole process of, okay, who's really responsible for the art? Is it the people who created the code for mid journey? Is it the person who put in the prompts? Is it nobody is responsible and it's non-copyrightable? These are all issues that are going to have to come up and that we hope to have a bigger conversation about at some point. But right now, it is super fun to play around with. And if you're looking for cityscapes or dungeonscapes or whatever it is for your weird adventures or characters, let's go. I need these kinds of character pictures. It's even better than this person does not exist. Hmm. You know, because it can do fantasy. You can put in specific kinds of prompts of what you're looking for. So super happy and excited to get to play with this. I do not think it will put artists out of business, uh, but I do think it's kind of like, it's going to be kind of like desktop publishing where when the Mac came out, a lot of people created really badly laid out and, and designed posters and books and stuff like that. You'll still be able to tell who knows what they're doing uh, at the end of this. So there we go. So about, about how long does it take to, um, to, I guess, render, the image for you once you put in the prompts? That's a great question. Uh, it depends on how busy their uh, servers are. And so the longer you wait, the longer it's going to take because more and more people are going to be jumping on and doing this. And then eventually I'm sure it will fade off once the nov- novelty of it has dropped a bit. Uh, but you get your four things back in just a few minutes. It's not like you have to wait half an hour to get your pictures back. Though I imagine if it was prime time, you know, when everybody was doing it, say like if they did a Super Bowl ad and everybody's like, let's log on and do this, then it could take quite a bit longer. But okay. yeah, you get four four choices to pick from and then, you know, you can update them and iterate on them and that kind of thing. Huh. 
and everybody gets to see it. If you don't pay for the subscription, mm-hmm. then everyone on Discord gets to see it. So don't think you're going to to get to do something and then have it not seen by a bunch of people. I don't know what the right statements are on this. I haven't read that at all, whether you have rights to use it in products or you know, whether anybody can just use it since it's on their site. Um, but you know, there's some neat Hobbit villages I've seen pop up and, you know, a variety of other things that would work really well for some role, you know, role-playing game, general background art. And then you could get a real artist to paint your adventuring party on front of it. If they can match styles at all, that could be pretty fabulous. So if somebody was running some sort of, I don't know, um, role-playing game related, uh, competition type thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hypothetically, oh, someone like this, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and uh, would this be a viable thing to to have the contestants go? All right, uh, here's you know some prompts or something, or or you need to uh, go go out to this and generate a few images or or the such to to that, use. Uh, that was actually a a thought that the way I run games are uh, typically on the fly. They'd be like, oh, uh-huh. we're, everybody, we're going to take a five-minute break. I could run through a few choices. Uh, and in fact, the way that my players back channel, Bob, uh, <laughs> will occasionally put stuff up <laughs> in the game Discord, I could see them going and doing it for me, and I wouldn't even have to pick it out. But yes, for a competition, I would suggest that you could uh, you know, say you need to pick this kind of piece or even generating the pieces that you want them to use but assuming you don't want to um, that you could say, all right, go and generate something, save it to your phone or get it printed off and, and have it available for people to use. That wouldn't, that would be a new technology skill. that would be a great element to add, I think to a contest. So if especially I had a character that. class back channeler would be it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Phrasing. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I recommend checking it out. Everybody go look at it. If you if you've got empty and if you're ever giving somebody an empty Christmas or frame for like a holiday, there's absolutely no reason you couldn't come up with something from this printed off and say, Hey, I've given you a laser printed art <laughs> and a frame <laughs> that they can then until they decide what goes in that ni- nice little frame you've gotten them. That uh, they'll have something that is delightful and unique. So you could you could generate a word cloud from like some of their Facebook or Twitter posts, choose the top five uh, things from their their word cloud and plug those in, and generate a a really probably disturbing image for them in that frame. I would imagine. And you could do it in three or four styles. So if you know that <laughs> this is this is this guy's this guy's a deco all the way, then you could do art deco, and and have an art deco. You know, pumpkin spice lattes, uh, um, kittens, and two or three other things, and <laughs> see what comes up. And I, I encourage people to give us some prompts to to use. Let's let's do this thing. But, yeah, that became much more interesting than I thought it was going to be when I started talking about it. John, thanks. Yeah, you could do all those things. <laughs> all right, now that all having been talked about, uh, John, what you got for us? Okay, so uh, so you've talked about something that's kind of given you some extra inspiration into Absolutely. stuff that you're you're interested in. Uh, specifically, it sounds like specifically mostly gaming stuff. So similarly, 
being a gamer and doing research for other projects I'm working on, I have been looking into a lot of stuff dealing with various mythologies and stories and legends from all over the world um, to try to help me create and build build upon for certain things. So I've I've more got like a, a sort of a a listing of a of a few things that I've found. Mm-hmm that have been useful to me, things that I've enjoyed watching. And this has really helped me out with a lot of, with understanding not only the different myths, but, but how they all kind of tie together and things. And if you, if you listen to a lot of Neil Gaiman talking about stuff, he talks about how interconnected a lot of this, a lot of myths and the human experience really is. Mm -hmm. So, um, First and, first and foremost, uh, the one I probably got into during the beginning of the 2020s that I've really enjoyed is been John Solo's Messed Up Origins, and his it's his name is spelled just like mine, J-O-N. Um, it's a YouTube channel, although he's been re-putting them out in an audio format, so if you listen to audio podcasts, you can start listening to those as well. And he goes into like Greek and Norse mythology, but he also goes into um, like African folk tales. He's gone, he's done a big series on taking some of the Disney movies and stories and breaking down where they come from and the different myths that, that come from those. Uh, nice. he's, he's very entertaining and he's got a, he's got a delightful pug that he brings on at the end of each show to show off. <clears throat> so if you're an animal fan, he's got, he's got that going as well. Uh, his, his show has been really fun. Uh, I've also just recently started listening to Arcane Carolinas. Because, Ooh, local. Because, local color. because I live in South Carolina, and I was like, oh, this will be neat. Something local. It's talking about the different um, – it's more, it's more legends and tall tales and different stories. Uh, it kind of leans more towards a lot of – ghost stories and things at times because you know we're in the south donald we what do we have a lot of ghost stories right yeah yeah um it's been it's been fun listening to it however i kind of have a wee bit of a problem with it that i have with everything that that says it's that has the word carolinas in it because usually what they mean and these guys tend to lean this way is when they say carolinas what they're really talking about is north carolina Hmm. Well, where are you from? Because I only knew that there was North Carolina. It's like West Virginia. Lies. There's only one Lies. of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but that being said, but that being said, the show is still it's still fun. It's not they're they're breaking down the the different stories and such that they're relating, and you get an idea of where these things are located because they've actually been to a lot of these places. So in that respect, that one's really, that one's really fun. Hmm. Um, the other one I'm going to mention, which is another YouTube exclusive channel, uh, Arcane Carolinas is audio only as far as I know, but um, PBS has a channel called Storied. It used to be several different channels, but they've rolled them all together now. So on Storied, there's, there's a couple different, I don't know what they call them, sub channels under that. Mm-hmm. One is called Monstrum, where they take a different type of monster and they, or a monstrous creature, and they break down where, where it might have derived from 
what it's supposed to be, how it's depicted in different types of stories and, and myths and such. And the other is Fate and Fabled, where they break down um, different fables from across the world. And that's been a, a very entertaining, very fun channel to watch. That's cool. So, so stuff to watch, stuff to listen to. Well, okay. So that's pretty neat. Um, I I find that just the ability to sort of explore other mythology, kind of like everything in the world right now, is mm-hmm. is it is all super easy compared to when I was in high school. And if you wanted to find out about mythology, it was like, oh, Bullfinch's mythology. <laughs> so oh, okay, yeah, I, I've got Edith everything Hamilton's. I need to know. Yeah, right. Or Edith Hamilton's mythology. Yeah, something right. Like that. It went from <laughs> there's Greek stuff, and and it, and the really exotic stuff is Egyptian, and that's, mm-hmm. that's all the stories. That's everything. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, and Arthurian, you know, and oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe a few so, others. Right? So and so, where a lot of this for me comes from is I've just always been fascinated with a lot of this stuff, and being an old school D and D nerd, where my favorite book was the legends and lore or the, um, the mythology books mm-hmm. that they put out Deities for D&D. And demigods. Deities and demigods. Yes. There you go. Uh, we're talking like first edition, which didn't have the word first edition on it, that kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> um, that's what kind of got me started there. But then going into different, uh, works of fiction, by people like um, who's a good example? Manly Wade Wellman. You listeners, go check out Manly Wade Wellman stuff. There's some really good American lore building right there. There's stuff that's there's very Appalachian stories. Um, there's stuff there that you got to ask yourself: Did he make this up, or is this this based off of something? And I think some of it is based off of stuff he's probably heard, different stories and such. But to me, that's been the fascinating part is, well, how, how can I do this and create something unique that's my own that might also make people go, did, did John just make that up? Or was that, that sounds like it was something he, yeah, that probably exists out there, you know, things like that. Yeah. that it, That's always fun when, you know, people don't know. I steal liberally from everything, but I'm also too lazy to do all the homework. So it's like, oh, I heard this word blood god once. Let's let's use this in this particular in this game. And Mm -hmm. then the question is how much of it is subconscious remembering versus the well, this is what the players needed to face off against now. Um that that is a lot of fun, right? Because as Ken Height is uh, fond of reminding everybody in the world that the the reality is stranger than than fiction and there's so much stuff that you wouldn't be able to make up that is actually um, that people have actually said thinking mm-hmm. it was real right so right and i found that with the like john solo's messed up origins yes. when he starts especially when he starts talking about uh nursery rhymes or some of these these older tales like the little mermaid and when he goes, when he, he drills down to the point where he goes, oh, here's where it possibly actually came from, or here's what po- the, the 15 different things that possibly were the actual origins of this. That's That's, that's always fascinating. Yeah. So I, um, I got to check out this channel though, because it's got, uh, you know, some great takes from, you know, like the messed up origins of like Percy Jackson, which 
that will be. Yeah. And he's, he's just started that series about uh, the Percy Jackson stuff. I mean, he's got some hot takes on that. I haven't read (laughs) any of the Percy Jackson stuff, but it's very popular at the library. And it's kind of interesting as kids age up out of reading the books Mm -hmm. If you can throw other like, oh, well, but you know, and so this will allow me to mess with their (laughs) minds in a, in a positive way, hopefully. Um, So what's funny is because I'm an old school, like old original uh, Clash of the Titans fan. I think I watched that. I don't know how many times. And so when I first watched the, you know, the lightning thief, the first Percy Jackson film, I was Mm -hmm. like, wait a minute, this is, (laughs) this is like part of, of that. What, what the heck's going on here? A modern retelling, yes. Well, I've got a couple of, of recommendations to throw in here because I think when we're talking about mythology and um, that uh, we, we might as well jump in and, and offer some some extra resources. There's a group, the uh, the Tale Foundry and the Story Foundry, um, or that uh, have done like what's the origin of Lovecraft's Cthulhu mythos and and whatnot that. I can only recommend because the way that they break down stories and talk about things is always, is always pretty interesting. Um, and I like that a lot. And then there's the extra credits folks who have this thing called extra mythology, where they talk about the history of various mythological things. And so if you're like, Oh, I want to learn in a very short period, get an info dump on, you know, the African Anansi or I, don't know mm-hmm. how I pronounce that right myth. Uh, then, Hey, let's watch this. And then when I read the book by Neil Gaiman, it will all of a sudden be, ah, I have a little perspective for what's going on. Yeah. Extra mythology is really good. I mean, a extra credits is really good. Extra history is really good. Extra mythology is, is yet another excellent piece in there. Uh, I wanted to throw out some books. I know I'm not a librarian or anything. You're allowed. But, um, the the person who wrote the Magic Treehouse books um, also wrote a translation of the Odyssey, which my eight-year-old is super into. Depending on your point of view, the Odyssey is not really appropriate for eight-year-olds. But um, <laughs> if you don't mind violent killing and eating by Cyclops, um, so far it's it's been readable and comprehensible but still very much uh as brutal as the original was in a lot of ways mm-hmm. i say that uh, like i read the original in greek which i did not well it's <laughs> certainly then more accessible well we can give you 100 percent on that <laughs> to listeners of this podcast it would be more accessible and so what's it called uh it is just the odyssey um I'm going to get her name wrong, so it'll be in the show notes. Um, but the the person who also wrote uh, Mary Pope Osborne. If I'm wrong about that, I'm wrong about that. That's who I think it is. Um, it, okay. But it's it's he loved the Lord of the Rings, so you know your mileage may vary. Not all kids are going to be down with this, but if your kids were interested in sort of Greek mythology type stuff and you want to go through the Odyssey. The Odyssey is a great story and everyone should know some of the basics of it anyway. I, I loved it when I was, especially when I was in high school or grade school reading, you know, Oh, this was a thing that happened without necessarily 
getting all the gruesome details. Uh, mm-hmm. Loved it. And then the more you listen to the description of things, you're like, okay, all right, how many years did this take? <laughs> you know, or what have you. It makes no sense. Oh, but, yeah. You know, as part oh, of the yeah. epic storytelling, then then you just got to kind of kind of love it, right? You got you to gotta dig in and say, this is what we're getting. Uh, ignore the parts you don't like and, and run with the rest. So, oh, and previously I did talk about the uh, Myths and Legends podcast. So folks can go and go and dig that up. If, if they haven't, I'm still listening to it. Uh, I've started way after the podcast happened. I've started from the beginning and I'm working my way through and saying, oh, I feel like King Arthur stories today, or I feel like learning about Native American myths. And he did a, a, a takedown on uh, a whole Pocahontas myth that was, here's what probably may have happened, possibly. And it's tough mm-hmm. to look at things there in a good light. <laughs> the, yeah. the, the people involved there were not good people. So, right. John, John solo also covers uh, Pocahontas at you know, least I, once, at least once know. in his series. <laughs> um, and so what, what, what was it that spurred your interest in, Hey, we're going on this new dive on, on mythology. Were you looking at creatures to use in your games or were you writing? Well, um, actually it's because I've been doing some, some writing and Mm -hmm. I was trying to build something, build on something a little old, build something a little new, uh, just a a nice combination of the two and what better way to figure out where we've been and where we can go with, with, with that type of of thing. It's, 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 it's an interesting um, exercise in, world building and just understanding how these types of things, myths and stories and legends actually work. Yeah, that's great. I'm sorry. I could talk about this all day. (laughs) What's your favorite creature or, or mythological monster that you've had any fancy research on? I've always been fascinated with the Gorgons. Um, specifically mm-hmm. yeah. for, for most listeners uh, in, in modern books and stuff, they just kind of call them Medusas. Although Medusa was just one of the Gorgons. Mm-hmm. Um, I found the three of them are just fascinating with the, so many different versions of their, their stories, their origins, what they're supposed to be everything. Hmm. That's cool. Uh, yeah, that was what three sisters. Uh, yes, the, the Gorgons were cursed by Athena. Um, it kind of depends on what you're reading, but mostly, yes, mm. something to that effect. Um, Medusa was the only one that wasn't immortal. Right, Perseus had to kill her because he couldn't have killed the other two. He got lucky. Mm-hmm. Right, and then. Pegasus and um, I can't remember his name. This other, this, this, this dude in golden armor with a big sword came out of her neck when her head was cut off. Nice. Hey, that's Greek myth for you. That is, <laughs> that is that the planting of the dragon's teeth. Uh, right. Know, a variety right. of things. So uh, that really horrible book series that I, you asked me one time what I was listening to um, one of the main, <laughs> actually two of the, two of the big characters in the series uh, are are the Gorgons. So, yeah, okay. that's, that's it. I'm not going to reveal any more about it on the show because shame. But uh, anyway, <laughs> if, it was highly questionable. All right, well, let's take a break from this and travel about the country and let Bob talk. 
about what he's been doing. All right. I've been in Philadelphia. Um, Hooray. Yep. And so this is, this is very inside baseball, but I will say that um, I'm an academic and there are conferences that academics go to sometimes. And basically because part of it is being covered by somebody, it becomes your vacation plan for that summer. So mm-hmm. Philadelphia, not because I know anyone in Philadelphia, but because that's where the conference that my wife went to was. And so we did an Airbnb and I took kids around to museums while she did mostly boring meetings and stuff. So I got the better end of that. Um, and I cannot recommend museums enough in general. And as a added highlight, uh, Philadelphia has some great museums. It's got a science museum named the Franklin Institute after Ben Franklin, because approximately everything in Philadelphia is named after Ben Franklin. If it's not after named after William Penn, um, hmm. except for the other one uh, that I'm going to mention is the Mutter Museum. Um, but both of those were technically free for me because they have reciprocal agreements with museums in Richmond, Virginia, where I'm from. And so if you're not a member of a local museum, but you travel a lot, it's worth considering doing it because those other museums in exotic locations are sometimes free. Hmm. That's cool. So do you want to hear about science first or weird science? Oh, Oh. that's a tough choice. Well, it's got to save the weird science. We'll save that delicious dessert for last Okay, so the Franklin Institute is a science museum. If you've been to a science museum, there will be parts of it that are li- that the Franklin Institute is like. But mm-hmm. the Franklin Institute is one of the big ones, and it was not one. The le- I've been to Philadelphia over a decade ago. I've been to the Franklin Institute over a decade ago. It felt much more like a here is a history of Ben Franklin kind of thing, and now it is much more the size of the Boston science museum or whatever the closest, you know, whatever giant science museum is near you. Mm-hmm. It's one of those. Uh, my son loved the fact that there was a heart that was a two stories tall and you could climb through it like you were a blood cell. And he, he knows more about the chambers of the heart that he did before he went into this heart. Um, well, that's exciting. Yeah, like they have some neat uh, exhibits, and one of the things, their live exhibits were quite exciting. They have a mystery dissection twice a day, Uh, and so we got somebody, take apart, saw somebody cut apart a cow's eye and show all the parts, and that was neat. Um, Oh, wow. (laughs) They had an exhibit of, well, but like... You know whether this is going to be for you or not, right? They don't say mystery thing that may or may not be a dissection. It's a dissection. <laughs> right. Oh, no, I understand. It is, it's just, I can, sure, I can cut up a chicken and cook it. But if it's like, oh, we're actually going to, to dissect it just to look inside of it, that's, that's more difficult for me. <laughs> I understand. Well, and, you know, you're not the one with the blade or, handling it you, you're you, watching you pretend that that would make it any easier on me that would probably make it more difficult watching <laughs> someone else do it would be harder for me than actually having to do it myself so uh, that would make it easier on me right 
unquestionably your mileage might vary uh there was also a live display of uh combustion and so you know what happens when you get a balloon that's got mostly hydrogen in it and and attach and put a flame on it it's exciting that's what it is is it is it exciting if there's not also oxygen i guess you wouldn't have the flame if there was no oxygen so never mind i withdraw the question is stupid there is no i mean it but it's a science experiment. They're not just doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff. We, they went through this conversation and they're like, Hey, look, let's start with fire and let's take away the fuel. It goes out. Let's take away the oxygen. It goes out. Let's take away the heat. It goes out. So, you know, that these are the key elements. This is how you make fire. This is how you make combustion. This is, you know, what we use it for. Uh, if we, put some uh, aerosolized fuel into a soda can, we, uh, into a soda bottle, we can turn it into a rocket. Mm-hmm. It was great. It was good stuff. I mean, you know, then they did it. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> so how much of it did your kids actually get hands-on to do the experiments versus the people showed them what would happen? Uh, there's a lot of hands-on experiments. As w- I, I was mentioning the live displays, mm-hmm. which I thought were good. Um, but uh, there are uh, displays in various areas, and almost all of them are interactive in some kind of way. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them are really clever, like there's an area that does uh, airfoil design, sort of airplane type stuff. And uh, one of them is, here's this wing-shaped thing, and it's basically in a wind tunnel. But the wing-shaped thing is sort of a flexible foam. So if you bend it in a smart airfoil shape, it'll float. And if you don't, it won't. And it's totally up to you whether you make it into a good wing or not. Um, And then once you know how to make a good wing, there's other stuff later on where you're using that to, to do fun stuff. And some of it is silly, like you can... They had these little handheld wings and you stood in a little wing wind tunnel and my kid loved, you know, that feeling of, Hey, maybe I could fly with these, but <laughs> you, you, you can't <laughs> uh, side note. It didn't work. You do not fly, but you do get that exciting feeling that people get that. Maybe you could. Yeah. So that's neat. That's pretty cool. Um, Oh, and I have a I have a group activity thing. This is this is oh. my Bob tries to be Bruce Vogue moment. Oh. Um, so <laughs> they they as is befitting. They've got a fairly extensive electricity section, and one of the bits of the and like as you come into it, there's a little key, and if you touch it, you get a shock because Ben Franklin. But um, there there's uh, <laughs> there's this other one that's sort of showing that you are conductive uh there's a big brass knob and another big brass knob and if you were to touch both knobs you complete a circuit and a light goes on great where it gets exciting is if you hold one knob and somebody else holds the other knob and you hold hands with that person you still created a circuit and then if you find a random stranger and you say excuse me can you hold that knob and i'll hold this knob and you just hold my eight-year-old's hand and i'll hold his hands and look the light goes on and then you get and uh we got 13 people who 
do not know who I am to make a circuit just to show that you can do it. And that was pretty fun. Nice. Well, you probably looked like a docent for the museum or something, you know, with your. I have that look about me. <laughs> yes. yes, you do. So which, which museum was this one again? This was that's, the... The, that's the Franklin Institute. It's in downtown Philadelphia. It's easy to get to. Um, it is sort of a, a pretty walk away from the famous Philadelphia Museum of Art. Not famous for its art, but because those are the steps that Rocky climbs <laughs> up in the Rocky movies. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. Well, let's, tra- let's, let's trot on over then to the weird science. Let's get into the weird stuff. The Mütter Museum. Not mm-hmm. that far away, but but you know a little bit far away. I, I as a side note, Philadelphia has amazing public transit, and I highly recommend uh, you know hop on a bus. It's two dollars and fifty cents to get wherever the heck it is you need to go. Um, my kids like the bus. My kids like the trolleys. Um, but and the trolley stop right by the Mutter Museum. Uh, the Mutter Museum is the American Physicians. Uh, it is a medical museum, and it is predominantly um, human remains uh, showing various forms of important, useful variation among humans and medical issues that humans can have. Um, and they have a huge array of skulls, which are the very first thing that you see when you get into the actual museum part. Um, it's like, it's like, this is the warning. This is, you know, Donald may or may not want to move past this point. That's yeah, right. It's very much. If this is, ge- if this is getting you turn right around, it's, it's not going to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not going from here to easier for you. Right. <laughs> um, but it's, but it's fascinating. And my kids were, uh, you know, I sort of said, look, you have to be respectful here, but they were great and they were fascinated and it's got things that appeal to children and people whose sense of humor is child related, like, mm-hmm. uh, an amazingly large colon is there, uh, some gout inflamed hands that are preserved in formaldehyde is there, um, a ton of, you know, not everything is human remains. Some things are models that have been made to teach physicians over various years and years and years um, about, infl- you know, skin uh, diseases or uh, what various inflammations might look like on a face. Um, they have, it's, it, they had a special exhibit about uh, pandemics, which seemed mm-hmm. relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get a mask there that says spit spreads death, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> which, which was one of the, you know, f- one of the, um, I don't know if you'd call it a public service announcement at the time, but related to the flu pandemic of 1918, um, which, which hit Philadelphia that the, the, the bringing it to a sort of local history model, uh, Philadelphia held a parade to support war bonds when all the medical professionals told them not to do it. There's a big flu problem 
And it turns out that it was one of the worst super spreader events that's ever happened in Philadelphia. It was really bad. Um, so that's, and that was stepping into the beginning of the special exhibit on pandemics. Mm. My eight, my eight year old loved the museum store where you could buy cute, fuzzy little microbes and he got a white blood cell and then he decided he needed to get uh, a Lyme disease microbe so that the white blood cell had something to attack. He got a red blood cell to be friends with the white blood cell. Pretty mm-hmm. soon he'll have a whole phantasmagoria. That is great. <laughs> uh, you know, educational plushies. What's what's not to like? It's right. Well, cool. Uh, that sounds like fun. And I, I'd probably be okay with seeing most of it there on display. It's actually watching medical procedures is what bothers me more than anything. Right. I mean, um, but as long as I don't have to watch it being done, it's like, Oh, Oh, okay. Whatever. I, I can, right. I, I, I think can probably deal with it. Not having the action is probably important. And the thing that struck me about it was that it seemed very relevant for people in health related jobs, because I think that there, there must be a certain amount of, Part of learning how to do this job is just seeing the variations of what humans look like Mm -hmm. in real life so that you get used to the fact that you're going to be seeing a whole lot of normal humans uh, in real life and they're not going to look like what a comic book character looks like or, or what a movie star looks like. Right, 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 right. Wow. Okay. Not where I thought you were going with the, uh, the weird science museum. Right. Yeah. But then again, I, I just started rewatching fringe. So that's probably (laughs) where I was thinking. So I do have to say, what's the weirdest museum that either one of you have been to? I think we may have heard Bob's now, but, but possibly not. Um, so what's the weirdest museums you guys have been to? Well, depending on what you mean by weird, I did go to the Kazubi Kazoo right. Museum in <laughs> yeah. Beaufort, South Carolina, I was wondering which if that I thought was a, amazing. Um, but I've also been to one of the Ripley's museums in, uh, I'll, I'll say Myrtle Beach, probably. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Bob? You know, it's, I think Motor Museum takes it, but if, you had asked me before. I know people that have been in in some of the wild and crazy museums. You know, things that seem very much like, well, this is somebody's house, but they have decided to make the bottom <laughs> story of it into a, a set of, of exotic things. Okay. But um, the old Franklin Institute that over a decade ago I went to had a number of artifacts of Ben Franklin's science career that were kind of exotic. Like he built something called the water harmonica, Mm -hmm. which is a bunch of, which I did not see on this trip, but it's a bunch of, uh, nested glass bowls that had water in them that the way you played it, it would sort of, you know, kind of like if somebody has a wet finger, they rub it around a wine glass. It'll make a noise. This was taking that to, let's make a whole instrument out of that. So a, huh. a little, a little wet thing would touch the rim of the glass and it would make a noise and it would touch the rim of a different glass and it would make a different tone and you could play music this way. 
and the the docent at the time sort of said every once in a while we will play this on special occasions it is a bear it almost never works flawlessly (laughs) that's what there were you know it, it was more sort of funky stuff and less sort of I'm going to teach you about science now. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. You know, and what John said actually got me to think, or I don't know, one of, one of you said, said something that made me think about, it's like, what really is a museum, right? Because I went on the tour of uh, Monticello when I lived in Virginia. Every time someone came into town, they had to go see Monticello, you know, or the, or the Mickey Tavern, which was, you know, not too far from there where it was, you know, an old, a historic tavern that is still serving food. Um, but then when I lived in Oklahoma when I was in high school and they had this thing called enterprise square, which, um, was basically a love letter to, uh, the economy <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and the government and blah, this, that, and the other thing. And it was, it was horrible and tacky and just truly, truly awful but the one thing i remember about it is the end one of the last things you did is they had the simulation of the stock market that i knew went past the you know uh the the day where the stock market crashed Uh, it was at 1929 and because i was playing call of cthulhu at the time and had studied that period of of american history uh some friends and i managed to prove just how brutal and awful you can be if you if you have a little bit of inside information (laughs) <laughs> just how much, just how much money you can make uh, that has, you know, made me realize what a scam uh, so many of our economic systems are in this country. But, um, and fortunately that thing has expired, but there's just so many different forms that museums can take. And, and one of my favorites was the Corning Museum up in New York, oh, Yes, which the is a living, great. a living museum where they will teach you how to blow glass. You can take classes or oh, I don't know if, you, cool. if they have class classes there, but they will, you can pay your money and uh, create an ornament or something and take home. Um, they won't let you make just whatever you want to make. So just think about the dumbest thing that <laughs> I might want to make. And they would not let me do that. It had to come from this list of things that could be made. Uh, but that's, that's, I can't blame them for that. It's still probably one of my favorite museums of all time, but just the, just the vast differences of different kinds of museums is just kind of amazing um you know all around the world so oh, and i have a little story about a little so i used to live i grew up my hometown is Owego, new york mm-hmm. um it is not large it is small uh it has it is it's got a sign that says welcome to historic Owego." and as one of my teachers once described when he'd show that sign on a slide a historic town is a town where anything that's going that's important that's going to happen in that town has already happened. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Owego has a museum, a history museum, and uh, my dad used to tell this story of if it was during the week, you could walk into the museum and think it was closed because everything was dark, and you would hear this this sort of voice saying oh hold on i'll get the lights and (laughs) and this this tall sallow person would turn on the light 
where apparently he has been sitting in the dark waiting for someone to arrive. He was probably napping and you woke him up. It could be. (laughs) And there were, you know, sort of there and, and there was sort of the artifacts that Owego has to offer. There were arrowheads that had been from an archeological dig that had been, you know, from down the road a little ways. And there were, there was a great big loom that was there. There was a model of the battle of Yorktown in miniatures. Why? Because somebody in the neighborhood made it at some point and put it in a glass box. I'm pretty sure. And <laughs> so it ended up there. That's, That's hilarious. So it ended up there. Yeah. And so Georgetown, South Carolina is a, a, a relatively small city town. I don't know what it qualifies as actually, but um, they've got the rice museum and the maritime museum all right there on front street. And I don't know if I've ever actually made it to the rice museum when it was open, but the maritime museum is a nice little museum. So if you're ever passing through and you want to get an idea of what, uh, Boomtown Georgetown was like the Rice Museum, or I mean the uh, Maritime Museum will show you pictures of all that and talk about the uh, the boat, you know, the, the various boat incidents that have happened, uh, you know, including one, you know, being stolen by an escaped slave and and all this other stuff that was that was pretty, you know, interesting or exciting. But you know, based on the budget and the amount of time we have and the amount of people who come through, you're not going to get something that's to the scale of of the ones that you've seen in Philadelphia, I'm sure. So, but that, you know, maybe this is the, the call for find out what is cool in your locality listener. And mm-hmm. because there's something buried there, either weird or wonderful or both. And like you say, the scale might not be the scale that it is in Philadelphia. Depends where you are though. We just lost John. Uh, that's what happened. No, which means we lost all his footage too. Oh no. All right. Well, we're done. Um, we'll see. Um, anyway, uh, Hey folks, uh, we're going to call it here. Um, if this is a good podcast, I will edit it and see what I can get out of it. But, uh, if not, um, hooray, uh, you'll, you'll hear something. Otherwise, uh, we'll be a week off schedule. Um, Unless, did you have anything else you wanted to say about museums before we wrap up? Uh, I like them. And now that you've got me thinking when you said, what does it mean to be a museum? And I gotta, I've got to like contemplate that over a frosty beverage. Right. Okay. Well, me too. I think we're going to go watch some movie on television here in a bit. Um, cause I don't, I don't even want to face this, face this <laughs> editing. Um, so Okay. Uh, well, Bob, thank you. John, hey, thank you for being here while you could. Uh, we hope to have you on again soon. Um, yeah. Everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, Bob, where can be f- you be found again on the internet? Easiest place is Bob Wyman at twitter.com. All right. Well, hooray. And, hooray. Uh, everybody, thank you for listening. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of the Inverse Genius Podcast. The Inverse Genius Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 License. Thank you.